Dr. Hunter has entitled today's message, The Completion of Life. From the Old Testament, he chooses Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. And from the New Testament, Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message, The Completion of Life. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock besides our God? You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. Would you be seated but continue in an attitude of prayer as we listen to these words that our Lord Jesus prayed.
this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory have your scriptures with you, would you turn to the first chapter of Genesis? We did not just have the uh, traditional uh, rendition of the Lord's Prayer sung to uh, counterbalance our nutsiness last week, which, by the way, is on tape. We could, uh, we could include those songs on tape this week. Usually we can't because of copyright laws, but uh, those we could because we just sung a little bit of each one of them. But uh, we did it because... We are going to be talking about identity today. Starting off this season of solemn preparation for Christmas. And by the way, those of you who don't come from a high church background, who have no idea what Advent is, uh, it's not, you're not missing, uh, it's not in the Bible per se, uh, except as, as there were periodic seasons of, of solemn repentance and preparation for holy times. That is biblical. And in the church, uh, some denominations have called that Advent and Lent. And we take, do take special time to prepare, again, because we use every excuse to come closer to God. And, uh, and, I, and, and on that, I wonder if I still have a, yeah, I've got a book back here. We, we, every year we, we do these books, and you all are the ones who uh, uh, do these devotionals. And I hope you'll pick one of them up. Uh, out in the lobby. If you got a couple of bucks, pitch it in. If you don't, don't worry about it. But every day you can go to the Lord through what one of your brothers or sisters has written for you uh, during this season. So I hope you'll do that. Last week, we preached a, kind of a fun sermon. We had the love songs of the 60s, and we contrasted that to forever kind of love. And we committed, some of us did, we covenanted together to spend the rest of our lives in reflecting the everlastingness of God's love. And those are always neat. They're just warm, fuzzy times. Uh, and they touch your hearts. This week, I want to switch gears appropriately again for the season, but very appropriately for the subject at hand. This message will have much more of a prophetic tone. So I want you to Listen very, um, very closely because it has uh, much more than you'll ever catch the first time around. Just listen as close as you can. Would you pray with me before I begin?
God, I can't say what everyone needs to hear. I can't even say what you would say to everyone. Therefore, I pray for the Holy Spirit to come and anoint the words. If there are words that are mine in here, scatter them to the winds. But the words that are yours, along with the spirit and the meaning that are yours, fit into the hearts of your people so that they will look to you as their source of everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go through some just um, initial scriptures that are very important. I want to take off. I'm not going to exegete these scriptures for you this morning, but I want them to be a place of of, uh, a beginning. Genesis 1.27 And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now turn to Genesis 2, chapter 16. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And you will see the passage that we have been um, um, expositing for the last eight months. And you will know that one of the, 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 the five avenues of purpose that we've been talking about is the avenue of life, the avenue of being, the avenue of God creating us. And so you will see in verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. You will see in that the image again again, of God as the source, not only for who we are, but for how we must live. Now one more, and that would be in Romans chapter 5, just as one of many scriptures that point to our reconnection with God, because you know all of us were born into sin, All of us were born separate from God. And all of us, by our own volition, have sinned and become separated from Him. And so we need a reconnection, and this shows you our reconnection. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, having been saved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace means wholeness. In in Hebrew, the, the word is shalom. And shalom doesn't mean just an absence of conflict. It means having all of your life healthy as a whole, not just parts of it, not just, uh, uh, not just getting away from the negative, but having everything in a healthy, whole manner. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our connection. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember those words because we're going to sing a song at the end or... or um, Dwayne is that talks about where we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, that, that gets us enough uh, to, to get us started. I want to talk to you today about what is necessary for what I preached last week. Because what I preached last week was about a covenant community, a group of people who would stick together and reflect God's forever kind of love. I told you that there were three institutions that God put on this earth. One was the family. One was the covenant community, Israel and the church. And the last was the institution of government. The institution of government was put here mainly just to keep order in society, but the institution of government reflects the character of these other two. And I told you that because of the weakness of this covenant community, 
those people who would stick together in faith. The secular society, if there is such a thing, has had such an onslaught on the family, and the family has not been able to look to this covenant community as a, as a source of support and, as a, by and large, as, a, as an example of ongoing forever kind of love. And so the family has been embattled. And when the family comes apart, all of society comes apart. Now, what do you need to know in order to keep this family together, in order to strengthen this covenant community so that it can be reflected in the institutions of our society? You need to know who you are in Jesus Christ. Who you are in God. Now watch, because you may not have heard this ever before in your life. When the Bible says that we were made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, what does it mean? The sermons I've heard on this in my past always connected it with an attribute that people had that animals didn't. It was always connected, for example, with the attribute of reason. Well, it means that we can understand God. And so, therefore, since we have the same understanding and we can understand God, therefore, we are God-like. Others would say, no, it's because of the spirit that was deposited into man during his creation. When, when the Bible says that God breathed the breath of life, the Ruach, the spirit into man, that spirit was what, it, what is the, the, the image of God. And so man has that attribute of his spirit that is the image of God. And so on down the line. You can remember the sermons on the image of God and what parts of man were the deposits of God. I tell you, though, that an image or a likeness of God is simply that. It doesn't reside in any one particular attribute, any one particular part. You can't divide man. An image is just an image. It is, now I'm going to make some of you mad, nothing in itself. It is only a reflection of something else. That's what we were made to be. A likeness is just a likeness. It is, here we go again, nothing in itself. It is just at its highest value when it resembles that which it was made to reflect. Why does Scripture say that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ? Because we were made to be just a likeness of God, not to carry around one little attribute that was like God in ourselves. Not to have a little understanding of God, and therefore we were his image. John Wesley once said, when somebody challenged him, you know, to, to um, come forth with a man who understood God, John Wesley looked at him and said, give me a worm that understands a man, and then I give you a man that understands God. You see, there is no capacity in us to claim any complete understanding of God and therefore we don't carry it around with us. No, only as we stand in relationship to God. Only as we continue to look to God as our source for all of life. Not just our needs, not just our religion, not just our learning, not just for all we are. Only as we continue to look to Him can we be said to be in the image of God. 
Image of God is kind of like an IQ. An IQ only lists a capacity. It doesn't. People say, people always want to know what their IQ is. What's my IQ? Want to know how smart I am. How smart you are has nothing to do with your IQ. Because your IQ is just a capacity, see? It's only what you deposit into that that determines whether or not you're smart. So therefore, the image of God is a capacity. And the capacity must be filled up with the reflection of God. Now, here's the next step I want you to know. Do you know why we are so messed up in this world? We're so messed up in this world because we were made to be a derivative in, in language for you, uh, you mathematicians, most of us think of ourselves as going around as a prime number. I'm a prime number. I can be divided. I can be, I can be added up to. But I'm a prime number. And that's about how most of us live our life. Well, I'm going to divide my little part of my life over here. And this little part over here, I'm going to have my spirituality. Then I have my intellectual life. Then I have my love life. Then I have my social life. So on and so forth. Then I have my home life. See? Now. Nah. You were created as a derivative of something. You are a part of something. Now, in the web of your being, you know that. You know why? Because most people spend their whole lives trying to gain an identity for themselves. Most people try spend their whole lives asking this question. Who am I? i got to go find myself. i got to go find who I am. Isn't it curious... That the one time God identifies himself in Scripture, Exodus 3.14, God says, listen to this, I am who I am. That's his identity. He is the only one that has an identity. The rest of us go around the rest of our, well, who am I? Well, well, who can I become? What was I supposed to be? See, we go around looking for our identity. Why? Now watch, because you were never meant to have one. You know what? Your whole life, you've been taught you're supposed to have an identity in yourself. You're supposed to know who you are. Someday you're going to get your skit together because you're going to know who you are. Someday you're going to have it all together. I have never known even the best Christian in my life. I've never known anybody to have it all together. The best, the more a Christian was mature, the more dependent on God that Christian was. You know what? See, so you're not supposed to ever have it all together because you were meant to be. You were made to be a derivative and a reflection. But what we do is we go around and what we used to call in Psychology 101, imprint. We imprint. Remember, those of you who took Psychology 101, this is the most fascinating thing. I can still remember sitting at Ohio University in this class of 600. You know, you go into this basic psychology course. And they tell us about these little duckling eggs that they got, and they isolated these duckling eggs apart from their mothers, and the eggs hatched. And these little ducklings come out. And they just start looking around. Now, there is in their life what's called a critical period of identification. And so these ducklings come out, they start walking, and the first thing they see move, they think that's their mother. So they just follow. See? It only takes about ten minutes to imprint a duckling. It only takes about ten minutes or maybe sometimes two minutes to imprint a human being. But if you take a wooden decoy past that duckling, that duckling will just follow that wooden decoy. That's my mom. See? Just, if you take... Yeah. If you, if you, if you, if the first thing that they see moving is a person, they think, that, ooh, that's my mom. I'm going to follow them. See? 
If the first thing they see move, listen to this, is a wolf, they think that's their mom following this wolf. That wolf can turn around and eat those ducklings. I got eat by my mom. See? <laughs> they thought it was their mom. You know what happens if you take the duckling's real mother and, cro- and, and the duckling's following, let's just stick with the person, following the person, and you just cross that, that real mother in front of that duckling? He'll just keep following the person. See? Because that's what he thinks is its mom. Do you know what I see in practically every life I run across? Human beings who have come to critical periods in their life and the first thing they've seen move, they identified with it. They linked with it. And they said, that's what I want to be like. That's who I want to be. And so we go from critical period to critical period and when that image doesn't work out, we try for another image. Now some have imprinted on the image of Jesus. Not a bad imprint. Not a bad imprint. But when you imprint on the image of Jesus, you still only have a religion. Because you've got something in your mind that you're following. Instead of every day freshly looking to God as your source for everything. You understand? Why do you think most of the black kids in the United States are wearing X's around now? Because they're all imprinted on Malcolm X. Cool! Malcolm X. Why do you think that, that little white kids are, are going around with some of them are wearing Madonna shirts and some of them are wearing um, this is funny see a little see a little I, I, I did this I, I, I imprinted on Red Bricker when I was a kid a neighborhood bully you know Red Bricker walked like this I'd walk like this see because I wanted to be you know I was two feet tall little you know Red Bricker was eight nine you know I'd walk like this see why, it's so funny to see a little fat white kid wearing around a Michael Jordan t-shirt. It's just, he's imprinted on Michael Jordan. Like he's ever going to be Michael Jordan, you know? But that's our nature. That's our nature. Why? Because we were made as derivatives, not as prime numbers. Now, let's get to the, let's get to, let's get to the sense of this. What happens... When we lose our identity in God because we're born into it, we haven't lost it, we're born without it. That's what original sin is. It makes us think that we are entities in and of ourselves and that we are to choose. But really, we are separated, you know. We're born in incubation because of that sin. And we begin to imprint all over the place except except on the true God. What happens then when we become separate, when parts of our lives separate? What happens to us as people? You know what happens. We never have a sense of who we are. We never have a sense of security and confidence. We have a sense that at any moment life could change and we'd have to change with it. We never have a sense that our life is totally complete. And it's not. What happens to a person who has segmented their life in such a way that they have divided God, even the true God, Jesus Christ, into a little compartment. Turn to the first chapter of James. Let me show you. First chapter of James, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. 
See what happened? They just segmented their life, didn't they? I believe in God intellectually, but not with my actions. If anyone is a hearer of the, of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Now, here is the image of a man looking at who he was meant to be. And who he was meant to be is a reflection of God. So he tr sees truly who he was meant to be. Now, watch. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who intently looks at the perfect law, that's, that's the character of God, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. You want to be blessed in your life? Keep looking at God. Don't go away. Don't segment your life and say, well, this segment's for God, and this segment isn't. I'll operate by myself out here. But over here, you know, I really depend on God. These are the areas I really depend on God. Because you get mixed up in your identity. You get mixed up. Let me turn to uh, the fifth chapter of John with me, just for a second. Fifth chapter of John. Let me show you something about individual identity. Jesus was not only the Son of God, Jesus was God. It says in John chapter 8, Before Abraham was, I what? I am. That's what we just talked about. God identified himself, I am who I am, right? So Jesus had the nature of God. Now watch. But even Jesus did not operate in any area of his life independent from the Father. Amen. Look at this. Look at, chapter, look at chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do... What's that word? Nothing of himself. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Look at verse 30. Same chapter. Look at verse 30. I can do what? Nothing on my own initiative. This is still Jesus talking. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now look at this. If Jesus couldn't live life on his own and he was God, what makes you think you can live life on your own and you're not? There is no way in the world. Now, let me talk to you a moment, very soberly, about the society in which we live. Because I believe that you are need, you're going to need to remember this principle in the coming years more than you ever have in your life. There have been times in your life when you could have fooled yourself into thinking that you didn't need a faith that was truly um, um, necessary every day. But those days, I think, are coming to an end, and I'm glad of it. Now, I'm going to tell you some real serious things here. I want you to know, first of all, you know me, I'm not a doomsdayer. Look, people who live in Christ live in victory, no matter what the circumstances are. So there's nothing in this society that can happen that will take us down. 
There is nothing that can make us forget who our source is once we remember it every day. But I do think that there are, is coming in these, in these few years, in these next few years, the degeneration of our society is reaching such a critical mass that you're going to have to pay a price to be a Christian. Listen, you know the process that I just talked about, separating slowly from understanding God as our source into little affinity groups, little bitty affinity groups, and identifying them as our identity has been happening in this country just like it happens to us as individuals. It also happens to countries. And it's been happening in this country for 200 years. And we are now so fragmented and so segmented that in a social realm, in a civil realm, in the economic realm, every little group is out for itself. Every little group is out just to identify with itself. Now, let me, let me read you something. Before I even begin this, we just passed through um, um, Thanksgiving. And I want, you to, I want to read to you the original Declaration of Thanksgiving by the father of our country, George Washington. Okay? I'll just read parts of it to you, but I want you to get the sense of what he is saying. This is October 3rd, 1789, 203 years ago. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Well, right there he's starting out like a religious fundamentalist, isn't he? He's not even confining this. George, you're not even confining this to the United States. He's saying all nations. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas, listen to this. This will knock your socks off. Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many single favors of Almighty God. Now therefore I do recommend and assign a Thursday, the 26th of November, next, to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent, here's the word, author of all the good that was, that is, or that ever will be, that we may then unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. Do you realize that a prayer ten times more mild than that was just outlawed by the Supreme Court of the United States being said to our school children. You realize if George Washington were to say that today, he would be sued and he would lose the lawsuit for having said that to the people of the United States. What has happened is that we have let loose of the fabric upon which we were born as a country. And we have sought to gain our own identity and we have broken up into affinity groups. And you can see the institutions of this society now rallying around these affinity groups. And you can see the level of frustration and the level of violence and the level of moral decay 
increase accordingly. I don't watch much television, but every time I've turned the television on for the last three three, uh, weeks to a month, every time I've turned it on, I've seen at least one program trying to normalize the practice of homosexuality in this country. Now, please hear me. Homosexuals are people. They deserve our respect. They deserve their civil rights. And homosexuality isn't any worse than the lust in your heart or the gluttony in your stomach or whatever other sins. But to normalize that practice and to say it's okay and to say God made me like this is a total separation from what we have known as a country. And there has been a study some few years ago done at the University of New York, New York City, of a man, sociologist, or was an anthropologist, studied over 2,000 cultures. And in that study, he found only 55 cultures that were that blurred as a practice that came to a place in their development where they blurred the distinction between men and women. None of those cultures, not one of them, lasted very long. Why? Because we have broken down into our own little identities. People no longer assume that they have a higher God, a higher reflection to answer to. Now they identify, I'm a homosexual. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, I'm a husband and father. I'm a Christian even. Where they don't need God anymore because they got this little bubble of their own identity. And so every day they don't go to God anymore. They just react according to who they think they are. What's happening to the educational system in this country? You guys have seen the television um, uh, specials on the violence and the morals. What happens to a country, listen to this, where the highest level of morality that can be spoken now in a public school system is to teach kids how to have, quote, safe sex, unquote. That's the highest. That's the highest. What is it that, that has happened to an educational system that 100 years ago, used not even 100 years ago, 50 years ago, used the Bible as a textbook? But now, kids are absolutely fearful in bringing the name of God up in a public school system. I mean, and the teachers are scared to death too. It's not the teachers and principals. It's a reflect, that's a symptom of the fabric of our society and our general assumptions about how you can have an education system, how you can have a system about the creation that's separate from the Creator. Oh, you do that religious stuff out there. But you Christians, when you come in here, you leave all your Christianity out there, but when you come in here, you just learn as if that were possible. It's not possible for a Christian to leave his Christianity out there. It's not possible. And the few attempts that we have, see, now, please, my kids go to public school. We made a year-to-year commitment that we would put our kids in public school because that was part of what we were doing for society putting them there as missionaries. We wanted them to be salt and light in the world. But I don't know how much longer, I don't know how much longer Christians can with integrity be a part of a system that will not allow them 
to be continually looking at the source for all they are. You know that in Corpus Christi, Texas, you remember the little rally around the flag, uh, flag day, flagpole day they had? Just once a year, once a year, Christians gather around flagpole. We've done it, you know, at Lyman and, and they, I know they do it at Oviedo, Winter Park, all the high schools around here. And before school, before the schedule ever gets started, the Christians come early and there's maybe 50 or 60 kids that just stand out there one day a year. Pray for their school. Pray that they can be good witnesses. Pray for themselves. Now there are various schools. Corpus Christi, Texas is, is the one I'm thinking about that have brought a lawsuit that if those kids gather before school to pray, they will be expelled from school. And the ACLU is supporting that lawsuit. How can we have come to a place where we can't even gather on school grounds before to pray for the school? How can I'm not afraid of the violence at school. I trust look, I, I trust fully in the providence of God, and maybe I'm not maybe I should be afraid, but I'm not afraid of the violence. I'm not afraid that my kids are going to get into drugs and drugs and sex and, and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm afraid of is the general mentality that says you can separate your dependence on God from your student uh, relationship with the school. Or you can separate your knowledge of the world from your knowledge of God. It is inseparable for a Christian. You can't do it. And still depend on God every day. You You just can't do it. And what happens to the quality of our education? You know the SAT scores. For the first... 20, 22 years of existence, from, from the year 1941, when they were first instituted, to the year 1963, when prayer was, was eliminated from school. Those 22 years, the SAT scores never varied more than 4%. In the 20 years since that time, or the 25 years or whatever, every year the SAT scores have gone straight down the tubes. I'm not only worried about the general level of morality, I'm not... I'm not, that's not my main concern. It is a concern. But the level of education, when we split ourselves off from the author of all knowledge, what happens to our mentality? Do you know that according to a White House briefing a few years ago, 700,000 kids were graduated from high school who could not read their own diploma? According to a White House briefing, 700,000. I don't know how much longer Christians can, with integrity, try to participate in a system that will not allow them to be Christians. I don't know. Maybe some more years, maybe maybe 10 years. I don't know. All I know is that the overall degradation and the overall separation of this society has come to a critical mass. And I know that sooner or later, the society is going to go one or two directions. It could go in a direction where people finally look at each other and say, this is stupid. This is a dumb way to live. I mean, half of our kids aren't safe from violence and and pregnancy and and socially transmitted diseases and and, uh, um, half of them don't know what they're talking about anymore. And, I, you know, this is a dumb way to live. Where did we lose our way here? We've got to turn back to the fabric that made us a people of integrity. 
They could do that. My hunch is they won't. My hunch is that what's going to happen is that they're going to turn on that fabric. And that's us. Because we stick out like well thumbs. We are the people who will say, that's not right. That hurts people. That hurts you. That's not right. And so therefore, I think we're going to go through persecution. I don't know how long, but I think we'll go through persecution. It's already begun to happen in many quarters. Again, I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just trying to sober us all. And I'm just trying to say, unless we have a mentality that God every day, in everything, I'm dependent on you, we're going to get creamed. It's so important, not even to have the correct religion, but to depend afresh every day on God through Jesus Christ. If you do that, you know what? You're going to see how God is sovereign in the good times and the bad. You're going to see how it doesn't depend on what particular administration is in or how many congressmen do what or how the law courts are going down the tubes. You're going to see that no matter what happens, God's going to have his way. And you're going to see that he's dependable and faithful. Pray with me. God, we are not the first people in the history of mankind to think that we knew better than you. We are not the first people to be on the edge of persecution and have to live our lives in such a way that we will incur the wrath of people who want to be supported in their sin.